Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church and make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. Our arms are extended unto you, God. We know that you are here in this place And no matter what storm is raging in this house or around us or in the midst of us or in our family or in whatever area of our lives, God, we know that we are complete in you. Your word says that we will lift up our eyes into the mountains. Where would our help come from? Our help comes from God who created the heavens and the earth. And we lift up our eyes unto you. God, you're the one who could pull us out of whatever ditch we've fallen. You're the one who could give us strength to continue. If we've fallen, you're the one who's extending his arm to lift us up. And for that, we give you thanks. We declare that this is a night of restoration, a night of lifting up. We declare that this is going to be a night, Father, where dreams are going to be remembered once again. And for everything that the devil tried to do to get us down, Father, you're going to lift us back up and help us remember where we came from and what your plans are for every single one of our lives. We thank you, God, for that in Jesus' name. Can somebody give a round of applause? Come on. Lift up his name. Thank him for his love. Thank him for his relentlessness in loving us and pursuing us despite our faults. Amen. Are you guys excited to be in the house of God? Why don't you turn around and say hi to five or six people? Get out of your seat and tell them it's good to be at JTP Church once again. Welcome home to all the people that are here for the first time. We love you. We're excited that you're here and we believe that God has a word for you. Speaking about word, I mean, I was impressed by God during this week. And I want to share a word with you today. And I titled it, Get Your Fight On. So we're going to go straight into the word. But before we do that, I want you to... Look at the person that's closest to you. I want you to tell them it's time to get your fight on. You got to say it with a fighter attitude. Come on. Tell me. It's time to get your fight on. Let's go. It's time to get your fight on. Too timid. Go with me quickly to the book of Exodus, chapter 17. Thank you, worship team, for the time that we spent in the presence of God. You guys leading us there. We really appreciate that. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 through 15. This is what we're going to be reading tonight. And I want you to pay attention to every single word we read. Follow me in your Bible. I encourage every single person here to bring your Bible, every single person individually. Even if you come with somebody, rather than share, bring your own Bible. Because God speaks to you in your own specific way. God could be speaking to your wife a certain way, through the same verse, through the same scriptures. And God could be speaking to you in a different way. So sometimes you want to jot something down, and it's important to do it. And if you're sharing a Bible, you guys are going to be fighting, and we don't want no fighting in church. I mean, we've got to get our fight on, but it's not against each other, right? So it's important. Come with your Bibles. We have the screens. You know, that just helps people that are here for the first time. They don't have a Bible. But that's why we always have Bibles there, so that the second time you come, you already have a Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, it's no excuse. All right. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 through 15, it says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel. Everybody say, they came and fought. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out. I wonder if there's some fighters in the house tonight. (sighs) 
okay, we're building it, we're building it, we're getting there, we're getting there. Choose us some men, some men, and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was that when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. Hey, a fight takes a long time. A battle takes a long time, all day. So his hands got weary. So they took a stone and they put it under him. And he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Follow me. Verse 13. We're almost there. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And verse 15 says, and Moses built up an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner. 15 once again says, Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner. How many say amen for this? One of the things that stands out of the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, if you may, is the fact that sometimes the people of God fought the bad guys all the time, and some of it was pretty gruesome. I mean, if you take some time to look at these battles and to see how they explain them, I mean, some of these things are pretty graphic. The first thing that comes to mind is David and Goliath. How many remember that story? Right? Remember David and Goliath? Little David comes. It's not so much that they said that David overcame Goliath and hit him, you know, the rock hit him in the forehead and he fell down. They had to mention that David didn't settle for that. He went into the giants, pulled out his sword, and just went ahead and cut off his head and just grabbed his head and took it to the king. I mean, that's, that's some pretty crazy stuff. As a matter of fact, it reminds me of when I was a child. One of the movies that I used to love growing up uh, a few years back it was Clash of the Titans. I don't know if any of you guys saw it. They remade the movie now, but I remember the original movie, and I remember, I think it was Perseus. He was supposed to be, or supposedly he was a son of Zeus, and he, there was a battle between the gods, and, and this guy, I remember, he had to go and he had to cut off Medusa's head. You guys remember that? Any of you guys? Well, for those that never saw it, he cut off Medusa's head, and you couldn't look at Medusa because, you know, it will turn to stone. Whoever would look at Medusa straight in the eye. So I remember he cut off the head. He couldn't look at it. He put it in a bag. So that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind when I read about David and Goliath. Just cut off that giant's head. Could you imagine the giant's head? It must have been at least from the floor to here. I mean, that must have been a big-headed guy. He was a giant. He was about 9, 10 feet. I read also about Samson. And the Bible talks that one day the Philistines came upon Samson and he just found what was closest to him, which was the jawbone of a mule. And he got a bone, and with a bone, he killed a thousand Philistines. And that's not the craziest thing about that. He says that he stacked them up, piles of 50 people. Could you imagine that? I mean, just killing a thousand people is pretty crazy enough. But then the fact that he's killing them, okay, come, uh, I'm going to stack these 50 up here. Okay, I, I would have loved to see what that was like. It was gruesome. It was a fight. There was constantly fighting between the people of God and the people that are up to no good. I read about Peter also. You guys remember when they came to get Jesus? What did Peter do? He pulled out his sword and did what? He cut off somebody's ear. There was a guard and he's like, you ain't taking Jesus. And just, just cut off the guy's ear. I mean, these, this is pretty graphic. A lot of fighting going on. If you go to 
the book of Deuteronomy chapter 20. Follow me there. And verse 16 through 18, look at this command that God tells his people, all right? I want you guys to check this out. He says, but of the cities of these people, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. I mean, that's, that's pretty intense. I mean, we're just singing, Lord, you're the king of love, and but now he wants nothing to be left alive. You shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzites, the Hivites, Hivites, and the Jebusites, just as the Lord your God has commanded you, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done for their gods, lowercase, and you sin against the Lord your God. So, I mean, this is, I mean, the people of God were always a fighting people. Come on, tell the person next to you, if we're people of God, we got to have a fighter inside. But before you go out and buy an axe and do something stupid or something dumb, which we don't need any more of that, we got enough going on in the world today, what I want to inform you today and what I want to speak to you today is that the fight has shifted from the Old Testament now into the New Testament. I mean, God is not calling you now to wipe out people. He's not calling you to cut off giant's head. You see, the fight is still on, but it's shifted from the physical realm into the spiritual realm. You see, our fight now is not about grabbing a sword and killing somebody. It's a spiritual fight. It's a fight that, we've, that we fight with different types of weaponry. We don't fight the same way as they fought in the Old Testament. We don't have the Hittites. We don't have the Midianites around anymore. We don't have the Perizzites trying to steal our harvest, our food, like in the case of Gideon, right? Or burn our villages. As a matter of fact, we got bigger problems than that. The Bible talks about Satan who is out to steal, destroy, and kill. That's his job description. We got to face demons and principalities that are constantly deceiving us. Well, how, pastor? How, how are they deceiving us? Well, they're trying to cripple your calling with lies that you end up believing. They come through negative thoughts, attempting to negate all that God has spoken over your life. They come through disease and illnesses, wanting to immobilize you physically. They come through pain and betrayal. They try to freeze you in time so that you can spend the rest of your days remembering your past, how good it was in the past, and not living your present and your future, living disgracefully until you die. Suddenly for crumbs when God prepared a feast before you. I've seen in the church that we've gone through time, especially nowadays, spiritually soft. We're not the fighters that God called us to be. We're not the people that, you know, when something does not go according to the Bible and a threat or something happens or you go through a storm, you know, we don't have that tenacity sometimes to stand up and get our fight on. So that's what God put it in my heart as I was reading this and I started saying, wait, wait a second, the people of God were always fighters. They were always people that, you know, they didn't accept all the things that, didn't go according to all that God had planned for them. And they would step up. And if they had to fight to defend the field, like one guy did, one of the brave men of David, and everybody else left, and it was just him against the whole entire army, he said, I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to defend it. Even if I lose my life here, I'm going to fight for this. Where are the people of God that stand up for their fight and they get their fight on? I want to tell you, because maybe you're going through a battle right now, not a physical battle. You're not battling the Midianites that are coming to steal your harvest. But you're probably battling Satan that's trying to get into your family to break up your marriage. 
or you're probably battling Satan because he's coming to your life trying to bring sickness when Jesus said that he is your healer. And you can't just sit down and say, oh, okay, I guess this is what God meant for my life. God is calling you to get your fight on. Come on, touch two or three people and tell them it's time to get your fight on. So we've gotten, some of us, spiritually soft and complacent since the Old Testament days. And now we got our adversary messing with our families, trying to divide and separate. We got our adversaries messing with our money, trying to keep us contained and in need, always not having enough to get by, messing with our mind, telling us everything that God promised we'll never get there. Come on, stop. Those are phony dreams. That's probably you thinking that you're ever going to get somewhere, but it's not true. Lie of the enemy. God called you for great things. So we got to fight for that. And the worst thing about this is that the enemy stands up and attacks us in this way, and we let him. But I'm here to tell you that no more is that going to happen. It's time to stand up, and it's time to be the church of God. Come on, tell somebody close to you, tell them it's time to stand up, and it's time to get our fight on. So I want to use this story that we just finished reading of, it's an Old Testament story, but we could use a lot out of it. I'm going to use the word R just so it could be easy for you to remember because there's four things that you need to remember if you got a pen and pencil or if you got your notes right there on your phone or on your iPad. Pull them out because this is important. This will help you whether you're going through a situation now or eventually whenever you go through a storm. So the story takes place in a place called Rephidim. Everybody say Rephidim. It's interesting because Rephidim means beds, a place of rest. But if you realize the people of Israel have been walking around the desert, getting nowhere in the wilderness after they had a purpose of God. And the Bible says that they finally settled in this place called rest. They finally settled in this place where they said, oh, finally, we can stop walking, take some time out here, gather ourselves, get some strength, you know, until we continue our journey. But the Bible says that the minute they stayed there, there was a problem. If you read where we just finished reading the first verses, it talks about this problem that they had, and the problem was that they didn't have water. I mean, that's a pretty big problem if you're in the middle of a desert, am I right? No water in the desert, it's pretty drastic. And the Bible said that they started criticizing Moses. Some of the things that they were saying were, is the Lord not among us? Are you truly called by God to lead us? It's funny how when people go through stuff, they try to find somebody to blame. And they started looking at their leader, Moses, and they say, why the heck did you get us out of Egypt. I mean, we were slaves. Yeah, but at least we had food and water. You bring us now here. We're free, but we're, we're dying. And where's the water? Are you really the man of God that God chose to deliver us? And they started murmuring. And all of a sudden, God told Moses to grab a stick, to grab his rod and strike the rock. It was a huge boulder. And Moses just hit a rock. Now, they say that there's water inside cactuses, right? But you know, there's no water inside a rock. A rock is as dry as it gets. The Bible says that one of the miracles that Moses worked with these people in the wilderness is that he struck the rock, and out of the rock came a spring of water. It just started flowing, not just for one person. You know, just a little cup. Oh, there, I'm good. For Moses. No, for the entire people. It was more than a million people. So it was an incredible miracle. How many say amen? He struck a rock, and water came out, and everybody, the whole town, or the whole people, they started coming out and drinking water. And when they're finally here in Rephidim, in a place of rest, after they get through this struggle that they didn't have water, they were dehydrated, they needed to go on. Now that it looks like they're finally getting everything together, Amalek 
comes up and attacks them. And that's what we just finished reading right now. It's funny how sometimes we don't pick our enemies. Sometimes our enemies pick us. Sometimes you don't expect being attacked or getting that phone call or going through a situation. Just when you got out of a mess, all of a sudden you were just getting yourself out of it and then something comes and hits you even stronger and you're like, my gosh, what is going on? It usually arrives in the wrong time when you just finish dealing with other stuff. But when that happens, I'm here to tell you the first thing you got to do is respond and react. Everybody say respond and react. That's the first thing we got to do. And I want to take you a little bit into what these people did. Moses, he could have given up so easily because it's been so many issues already with these people. First they wanted bread. Then they started murmuring for this. Now they started murmuring for the water. And now Amalek comes. He could have said, you know what, I've done enough. I've done everything that God asked me to do. I, I throw in the towel. I'm done with these people. I can't handle them. They're rebellious. I've tried so hard. I've been a very humble person, but I can't deal with these people. But that's not what he did. He knew that God had called them for something better. My question to you is, do you know? You got your own battles right now that you're raging. You got your own fights that you're fighting. You got your own threats that have come against you. Maybe it's not Amalek but it could be a sickness, but it could be your dreams are coming under fire. Maybe it's something that's affecting your family and you got your own fight that you're battling. But when it comes, the question is, do you believe what God has called you and what God has said over your life? Because if you do, you will never sit down and let that come upon you and not do anything about it. You need to stand up and get your fight on. And that's exactly what they did. Your challenge is just a boulder separating you from God's destiny. So what did Moses do? These people came, and Moses was so cool. He was so cool that he didn't even go to God. You know, because sometimes when you're like, ah, what are we going to do? You know, he would go to God. But you know what? He just looked at Joshua, and he goes, Joshua, go get some men. Go get some men to fight against Amalek. And I'm going to go with Aaron, and I'm going to go with her, which were the priests. We're going to go up to the mountain, and we're just going to pray to God while you fight the battle. And I'm calling people today because there's people here sitting in this room that you need to start making some decisions. You need to start responding and reacting because the enemy has come with a threat. And if you don't stand up to him, he's going to take over. He's going to take over family. He's going to take over your finances. And he's going to do what he does best, lead you into deceiving you, coming to kill, destroy, and to lie. But I love this because Moses just got out of this huge mess with these people the bible says if you read it carefully that they wanted to stone him because there was no water it got to that point they wanted to kill moses so imagine moses could have said let the amalekites wipe them out i'm done with these people that's probably what i would have done pray for me but moses didn't do that moses went and he started encouraging them he got joshua and he said joshua i need you to go and find me son men. Touch two or three people around you and tell them, are you that type of man? Are you the type of woman that would fight? Get up on your feet and find someone that you don't know. Sometimes it's better to give a message to somebody that you don't know. And I want you to tell them it's time to get your fight on. Tell them, God is telling you tonight to get your fight on. Come on, look for somebody. Pick somebody, anybody you don't know that you don't know. And you're going to prophetically give them this word. It's time to get your fight on. Get your fight on. Get your fight on. Amen.
Amen. No, we're not crazy. We know what we're doing. It's important that you do it. And sometimes you need somebody to tell you. And you don't take serious the person that's next to you. God can use a stranger that you don't know to tell you something that he wants to get through to you. I love Moses' reaction because, you know, the minute that Amalek threatened, he didn't just say, oh, God, why sit down complaining? That's what we do sometimes. When something comes, bad news hits us, a storm starts raging around us, first thing we do is we complain. But I loved him. He was just cool as a pickle. He was calm. Joshua was a servant, and he called him over. He says, find me some men, and let's go up, and let's fight. And while you fight, I'm going to be praying to God. How many say amen to that? He did just what Moses told him. He got his men. He fought with Amalek. Now, I want you to pay attention to this because the people that he was fighting with were hillbillies, people in the wilderness. These weren't warriors. These weren't people that were trained to do war. They didn't have weapons. They've been walking in a wilderness. Where can you find weaponry? I mean, maybe a rock. But these people were just normal, common people, and an entire army was coming against them. The fight was not fair. You have to be brave to go up to that fight. Just like you have to be brave to stand up when Satan tries to take things from you that God says they're yours. And that's when you have to stand up and fight. I wish God would find some men in this place, some women that are bold, that know what God called them to do. And you won't let him take your dreams and you won't let him mess with your calling, mess with your family, mess with your finances. So at first glance, hillbillies, Versus trained soldiers, it, it appears it's going to be a massacre. It looked like it was going to be really bad, but the only thing that the Amalekites didn't know was that God was on their sides. Come on, touch somebody close to you and tell them, God is on your side. That's what gives us the advantage. So the first thing Moses did was respond and react. We're going to fight. We're going to fight. We're not going to let them come up here and rape our wives and burn our, the few things that we have, we're going to fight for this. We're going to get our fight on. But after they responded and they reacted, they rested. Everybody say they rested. Number two, very important. If you're taking down notes, they rested. Because sometimes we, we could do two things wrong. We could go out and fight and think it's our fight and try to do it all in our will and not go to God. And you could lose miserably because you need God by your side. There's certain things that you're not going to be able to do on your own. You need the power of God. But there's also some people that they do is they rest in God, but they don't respond and they don't react. And they're like, oh, something happens to them. And they're like, oh, you know, God hasn't control, but you don't respond and you don't react. What if Moses would have just laid back and said, guys, let's just take a nap. It's all good. God will defend us while we take a nap. Let's go eat with our children. They would have come up there and they would have burned the whole village and it would have been bad. So everybody say we have to respond we have to respond and we have to react when the enemy comes and tries to take. You can't let him take it. It's mine. God gave it to me. I'm going to respond and react, but then I'm going to rest. I'm going to trust that I can't do it on my own. It's God's fight. They knew they couldn't defeat the Amalekites on their own, but they still went out. That was a sign of faith. Joshua started recruiting men. Maybe, I don't know, I wasn't there when he was recruiting, but maybe there were some people that were like, oh, there comes Joshua. Oh, my gosh. Let's, let's just go into our tent. But the brave people showed up. There's always brave people. Like the brave people that are here in JTP Church that stand up and they're not afraid of confrontation. They're ready to get their fight on. And he found him some men and they went out to fight. 
Even though they knew that physically it was impossible, the worst thing you can do in life is go down without a fight. The worst thing. God is searching today for some courageous folks, some courageous men, women, who won't get intimidated when it's time to go to battle, but that you spring out of your chair and say, where's he at? I'm ready. I'm ready to fight him. I'm ready to get my fight on. I love something an American poet wrote. Her name is Susie Kassam. She's a writer and a poet. She wrote, I'd rather die fighting than live passively amidst all that is wrong. What are you going to do when stuff goes wrong? Are you just going to live passively and let it take over your life? Or are you going to fight for everything that God's promised you? Verse 10 says that while Joshua fought Amalek, these people actually went to fight. When he went to fight Amalek with his men in the valley, Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. I want you to picture this. They're fighting in the valley. There's Joshua with his men fighting in the valley. And then in the top of the mountain, you see Moses with his two priests. And they're praying. And Moses is lifting up his hands. As long as Moses kept his hands raised, Joshua and the people of God were defeating or were prevailing over the Amalekites. But when Moses started getting tired, you know, after a while, try lifting your hands and keeping them raised for 24 hours without any help. We have a guest speaker that he comes here a lot, and he's always saying, especially at the calling, raise your hand. And, and he never tells you, you know, when you can put your hand down. So people are, like, raising their hands. And then after, like, he's prophesying and he's talking, he's preaching, you know, after two minutes, and some people are, you know, are like, half of them have him down. And then, why? Because it costs to leave your hand up for a long time. So imagine Moses. Moses is an elderly guy. He's there. He's holding his hands up, but after a while, he gets tired. And he noticed that when he puts his arms down, the Amalekites would start prevailing over the people of God. So it's interesting. I want you to tell someone that's close to you, the fight is not yours. Tell them, when you respond, help me preach here, when you respond, God will take care of the rest. So you're responding. Joshua responded with his men. They were fighting. And Joshua 23, 10 says, one man of you shall chase a thousand. That's a promise that God gave you. You have to have that promise in your heart. One man will chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised. Maybe that was the scripture that motivated Samson to kill a thousand people. One man will chase out a thousand. You see, when you got God on your side, nothing's impossible. No problem's too difficult. That problem that's got you worried, that situation that's got you thinking and doesn't let you sleep and you, you don't even know how you're going to get out of, if you have God by your side, easy, piece of cake, God's going to do it. All you have to do is respond and react, start fighting using spiritual weapons. We're not fighting with stones. We're not fighting with swords. But start praying, start interceding, start proclaiming the truth that God had for your life and you're going to see God do the rest. Then you can lean back and watch God do his thing. And that's exactly what happened here. If you fight, God will give you the victory. The reason why God sometimes doesn't fight our battles is because we won't react and we won't respond. So the third thing we have to do is rely. Everybody say rely. Rely. You can't do it on your own. You need people to help you. You need to create a community of faith of people that you could trust that when you're going through stuff, 
you could go to them and you know they're going to have your back spiritually. They're going to pray for you. There's nothing wrong with coming to telling and, and telling your pastor you're going through something or telling your HOB leader, hey, you know, I'm going through this. The enemy attacked me in my finances or attacked me. I got laid off my job or I'm going through this situation. There's nothing wrong with going to somebody that's leading you and to be able to tell them, pray for me. I need you to help me. The Bible says that we should pray for one another. How many say amen to that? You see, there are certain fights that you can't win on your own. You need to rely on intercessors to lift your hands when you get weak. And the Bible says in verse 12, but Moses' hands after a while became heavy. So they took a stone. Look what they did. They got a stone, a huge boulder, and they had him sit on it. They put him under it, and he sat. And Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Moses kept his hands up from sunrise to sundown. That's approximately 12 hours. That's a long time to keep your hands up. But man, if that's what it takes to get me the victory, I'm going to raise my hands as for as long as it takes. And it's interesting that he couldn't do it on his own. He was the man that was chosen by God. But he needed people to help him. You see, you need to have people in your life. That's why your associations are so important. The people that you go out with, the people that you spend time with, the people that you call on the phone, the people that you hang out. got to be people that are always going to push you to seek God more, that are going to pray for you, that are going to do spiritual warfare when you're going through stuff, that you could confidently go to them and say, look, I'm going through this situation. I need you to help me. Let's do a fast, man. Hey, that's when you start using your spiritual weapons. And Moses had these two people. He had Ur and he had Aaron. And these people, when it came time and they saw that Amalek started gaining and started, you know, overcoming over Israel, they go, no, we can't allow this. And they went, and what can we do? Well, let's, let's put a stone here and we got to keep this old man's hands up on high because that's how we win the battle. So they went and they made sure that one on one side and another one on the other side was constantly lifting their hands. I'm asking you today, with the battles that you are fighting, it's not enough that you react and respond and get your fight on. It's not enough that you know that you can rest knowing that God has your back, but you need people on your side. You need people that help you intercede for you. God never intended you to fight on your own. You have people here. We are a family. Jesus was talking about how this is home. Melissa today, she brought an amazing word to the leadership, you know, talking about, you know, how home is not made out of the building, but the people that comprise the home. And it's the unity that's between us that we get to call this a home. So you have to have trust in somebody to be able to go and say, you know what, pray for me. I need God to do this in my life. And when you start coming together, you're going to realize that you have people that are there when you need them to lift up your hands. And you start seeing that as they lift up your hands, and they pray for you, God is giving you the victory down in the valley. Come on, how many say amen to that? I believe with all my heart that God is giving people victory tonight. James 5, 14 says, is anyone among you sick? Maybe that's what you're going through. Maybe it's a physical ailment. Maybe you got something going on in your body or the doctor diagnosed you with something. You got a sickness, an illness. The Bible says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, call the pastors, call the leaders, and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord, and they shall recover. It's talking to me about relying. There ain't no lone rangers in the kingdom of heaven. It's a community of people. We have each other's back.
So when you're going through stuff, I go and I get in agreement with you, and I pray and I declare that God's going to give you the victory. Now you're going to have to be the one that responds and reacts and trusts in God. But I'm going to back you up in prayer, and we're both going to pray, and God's going to give you the victory, and we're going to see you here one of these Sundays testifying about what God did. And that's the way it works. So react, respond, rest in knowing that you're going out to fight, but it's God's fight, not yours. And then rely on people that are going to help you. You're not built to be an individualist. You were created to build a community of faith around you. That's why HOBs, that's why leaders, pastors are so important, and that's why we exist. And last but not least, reward. Everybody say reward. As you guys know, and as we read at the beginning of the sermon, God gave them the victory. It was an incredible victory. God tells Moses after the victory to write this for a memorial. Why did God call Moses and tell him to write this victory as a memorial? Why would God do that? Well, my opinion is that so that in 2016, in Hialeah, Florida, on a day like today, we can use the story to be encouraged to stand up and fight. They're not the same enemies. They're not even the same kind of enemies because they're not tangible enemies that we fight against, but we could use the same strategies to be able to get victory over everything and everyone that comes against us in the name of Jesus. How many say amen? See, God has already given us the victory. I'm here to tell you that the fight is fixed. Tell somebody close to you, the fight is fixed. I was in Venezuela a few years ago and T.D. Jakes was preaching in the house and it was crazy and he preached that message. He preached the fight is fixed. He started talking about how some boxing matches are fixed. And he started saying that, you know, sometimes he would see the trainer and his guy was getting all beat up, but the trainer wasn't worried. And he's like, he was asking himself, why is the trainer worried? The guy's getting beat up. Why? Because the fight was fixed. He knew that he was going to win at the end. So when things are fixed, you don't have to worry about it. Well, I'm here to tell you that your battle is fixed. God has already given you the victory. He already knows the end and the outcome. All you got to do is go through the process and respond and react. Don't let the enemy come and take you. He already said that you're more than a conqueror. So it's just time to stand up, believe God, rest in him, going out and fight and creating a community of people around you that are going to back you up and are going to pray for you. Praise God. God said, I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. I'm here to tell you that whatever giant you're fighting, whatever challenge you're going through today, once you react and God get rid of it, there will be no remembrance of it. It will be put in stone. Let me tell you, Carly and I have gone through stuff, you know, in our, it's going to be 11 years in the next couple of weeks. We're going to celebrate our anniversary. And in these 11 years, we've gone through our share of battles as a couple. You see, there's, there's things that you battle as an individual. There's things that you battle as a family. There's things that you battle as a, as a marriage, as a couple. And we've gone through our shares of stuff. But let me tell you, God has a way of making something that feels like you will, you're never going to get out. And once God does and shows his power in such a great way, you don't even remember it sometimes. It's like, oh, that's right, man. I went through that stuff. That's crazy. Wow, because God brought you out of it. And that's what he was telling Moses. I want you to write this because, you know what? My grace is so great that you guys will probably even forget that I did this for you. But write it in the remembrance so people could know that I was the one who saved you guys because y'all were all hillbillies going against an army 
But isn't it interesting that the Bible says that they beat him with the edge of the sword? How in the heck did they get swords? Must have pulled it out their enemies and killed them with their own weapons like David did. I mean, it's something incredible. And those are the things that God does. And he wants us to remember what he does. He's going to make whatever situation you're going through disappear. Your pain, your past, the people who hurt you. Maybe you've gone through a lot of stuff. People have been very bad to you. They've done things that they've stolen from you maybe, not just physically, but maybe sentimentally, took a piece of your heart. But you know what? God's going to stand up. He's going to return, and he's going to restore everything that was stolen from you. The tears you shed, all they did is prepare you for the fight, and the fight caused God to move and command your victory. How many say amen? And last but not least, if I could get the worship team up here, the verse 15 says, and Moses, after all this had happened, Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. So check this out. Moses, after this huge victory that he realizes that he could have never done on his own, nor Joshua, he says, man, I got to give God glory for everything he's done. This is something you guys got to understand and apply to your lives. Because sometimes we're so easy to ask God for stuff, but when God comes and delivers us from stuff, we say, thank you, God, see ya. And no, 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 take time to glorify him. Give him the glory for what he's done. So interestingly enough, Moses lifts up this altar and he called this altar Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. And he gave God an offering because there can never be an altar without a sacrifice. In the Old Testament, every single time there was an altar lifted up, there was a sacrifice laid onto the altar. So it doesn't give us the whole picture here because in, in one verse, you know, there's a lot of things that could go into that verse. But we know that he built an altar and he offered an offering unto God, a sacrifice of praise he gave God the glory because he knew that it was God who gave him the victory. And he named it, the Lord is my banner. You know that back in the days when the people of God will go into war against other people, the people that will go in the front would be the worshipers, the Levites. And they will hold banners, huge banners. And the banners did a few things. The banners used to direct the soldiers where they needed to go, where they needed to stand, and when to march. But a lot of the times, or most of the times, these banners had things written on them. And that's why sometimes you see them in churches. As a matter of fact, we used to have a bunch of them hanging for a long time. We don't have them anymore. But banners lift up the name of Christ. And these Levites would go before the soldiers, and they would hold these huge banners where the soldiers, for a long way, could see everything that they said and that was written on them. And they would say stuff like, glory be to God. The victory belongs to the Lord and stuff like that. So interesting enough, when Moses sees the amazing feat that God had just done, that he used all these wilderness people, simple people, campesinos, like we would call them in our countries, right? Gauchos, that's how they call them in my country. And, and, and just give them a victory over an army. Moses says, you know what? This is God's work. This wasn't the work of men. We just did our part. We responded. We reacted. And God gave us the victory. So he lifted up an altar, gave God an offering, and he said, the Lord is my banner. I'm here to tell you that God has already fixed your fight. God has already declared that you are a victorious champion. 
God has already said that whatever you're battling against as a person, as an individual, as a family, God has already given you the victory. But you can't just sit down and expect God to do anything. He's waiting for people to get their fight on. He's waiting for you to respond, to react. When the enemy comes and, and something negative happens in your life, you can't just sit down and say, oh, God, one of these days will take it. You can't be nonchalant about it. you got to stand up and say, I'm going to war against you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. I'm going to start declaring. I'm going to start praying. If you aren't used to praying or if you're used to praying 10 minutes, take your praying game up to another level. You start interceding. You start praying for half an hour every single day. You start fasting. You start using the spiritual weapons because it's not a physical adversary. It's a spiritual adversary. You're never going to win a spiritual war using physical weapons. You can't beat the devil over the head with a bat. This is not going to happen. But you know what weapons you got to use. You pray, you intercede, you rely on people, and you respond and you react. And you know what? Your enemy has to retreat. I love, and I want to close with this, I love the story of Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah was a guy that God had called with a huge purpose. He had never seen the motherland, Israel, because he was born into captivity. He was born in Babylon. But the Bible says that he was so graceful that he worked his way up to the top, and he was the servant of the king. The servant of the king was like his... You know, it was like his um, cabinet. It was like the person that would advise him. I mean, these weren't people that would just bring him a little cheese. Here you go. No, these were people that would, they were super smart and they were constantly with the king. And he finds out that Israel's in ruins, that the walls were burned down, that there was hopelessness all over Jerusalem with the few people that stayed over there after captivity. So God puts something in his heart. Check this out because God has a funny way of moving because this guy's comfortable. Everybody say comfortable. He was, he was the second to the king. This guy had money. He had it made. He, he ate the same food that the king ate. He had it all together. But he knew that there was a calling of God over his life. And the calling of God was like, go over to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. So this guy risked his life to tell the king, you know, king, can you, can you give me some time so I could go and do this? I mean, he risked his life to do that. And once he went out, he started encouraging the people. You see, you have to know who you are in Christ. God created you for big things. It doesn't matter if the walls around your family are messed up. It doesn't matter if everything around you looks bad, if, if it looks tainted, if it looks impossible. You have to know who you are in Christ Jesus. And this guy knew who he was. I'm, I'm here comfortable. I got everything I could ever need. I could retire here with my kids. I'm, but God called me to do that. So he went. And all the people were all scared because by not having walls, anybody could come into the city and steal and burn and pillage and do everything that they want to do. So he started encouraging them. You see, that's why you have to be the leader that God called you to be. He started encouraging all the people around him. And these people started being encouraged and they started building the wall. But while they were building the wall, everybody say, while they were responding and reacting... The enemy came. There was a guy called Tobias, and there was another, another joker, and these two guys started threatening. They didn't even come. They just started sending messengers saying, hey, you know what? We're going to go, and we're going to wipe your people out. We're going to burn your village. We're going to do this. You guys are never going to finish that wall, and they started threatening them. So you know what this guy did? He didn't just say, oh, my gosh, I should stop this. I should go back to the palace and just, I, I mean, I tried. No, he kept on going forward. And it was incredible. He put the people to start putting blocks. And with one hand, they would build the wall. And with the other hand, they would have a sword. Isn't that crazy? And I think that's 
the epitome of what God wants you to be. We're building our families. We're building our futures. But at the same time, man, you got to have your weapons, your spiritual weapons on your hand to be able to come against the enemy when he tries to steal stuff from you. And these people, they never showed up because they were jokers. They were just talkers. But if they would come up, they would have wiped them out because they were there putting up the wall. And another thing, they didn't even stop their production. Interesting enough, because they could have said, look, let's just have a few weeks off and we're just going to stand guard just in case these people come. No, no, no. We're not stopping what God called us to do. We're going to continue to build it. And if these people come, we're ready for them. The Bible says that in 52 days, 52 days, they built the wall of Jerusalem. That's the same wall that today you see all those, you know, rabbis, the wailing wall that, that's still up. That was part of the wall. It was a huge wall that surrounded not a building, not a neighborhood, an entire city, 52 days. Because he responded, he reacted, and he knew that the fight was not his, but it was God. He learned to rely on people, people that were discouraged, but through his leadership, he encouraged them, and he reminded them that God was with them, were the people that God chose. I'm here to tell you, I don't know what wall you're building. I don't know what's been burned down in your life, what things you're trying to recuperate. Maybe there's been some things that have been lost in the past, things that the enemy took away, and you thought you'd never recover. You know what? Get your fight on. Start threatening the enemy because it's time to recuperate all that's been lost. Maybe it's been your joy. Maybe it's been your peace. Maybe it's been your dreams, but it's time to get your fight on, and it's time to recuperate all that is lost. And I'm not talking about just recuperating. There's other things that God has for our lives that we need to conquer. There's walls to build. There's people to bless. There's things to do. And you can't stop serving God to attend to all these things. You got to continue building while you're fighting with your other hand. Stand on your feet. Stand on your feet.